Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. Thanks for joining us. This week's episode of the OIS Podcast is brought to you by Zeiss Medical Technology. Zeiss Medical Technology is a world-leading medical technology company that supplies innovative technologies and application-oriented solutions that are designed to help doctors improve the quality of life of their patients. Zeiss Medical Technology provides complete solutions for the diagnosis and the treatment of eye disease, innovative visualization solutions for microsurgery, and promising future-oriented technologies such as intraoperative radiotherapy. Our guest today is Christy Schaefer. She is a general partner at Hatteras Venture Partners. Christy Schaefer started on the research bench, but found her way to the CEO role at Inspire. Uh, it's uh, quite an unusual path and one that, uh, that Christy tells well, a story that Christy tells well. So I'm sure you will get a lot from that experience. But more important, Christy took away an important lesson from her, uh, her time at Inspire. One was uh, how to develop a culture that, uh, that really supported the employee. But the other was a way to look at uh, innovative yet expensive projects. And it's a lesson that she applies today at Hatteras Venture Partners, where she invests in, uh, in ophthalmology and other companies as well. So let's, uh, let's hear from Christy Schaefer from Hatteras. But before I let you go, please do go to OIS.net to register. OIS at AAO is coming up on November 9th in New Orleans. We'd love to see you there. So go to OIS.net to sign up right away. Now let's get into this conversation with Christy Schaefer of Hatteras Venture Partners. This is Tom Salemi. I'm at OAS at ASRS, and I'm being joined by Christy Schaefer, General Partner at Hatteras Venture Partners. Christy, thanks for joining us. Thank you. You participated in our Seed Stage panel today, and it's, a, it's an important topic to talk about. Uh, I want to get into Hatteras and what kind of companies you're investing in, but I wanted to find out a bit more about yourself first. How did you find your way into, uh, into the life sciences? So after receiving my Ph.D. in pharmacology, I had the opportunity to work for Burroughs Welcome, which is now part of GlaxoSmithKline. Sure. And I had the opportunity to go into clinical research, and I really love the idea of how basic science can be translated into clinical medicine. And that was before the days of the word translational science. <laughs> but I was able to be a project leader for a number of international programs, including in pulmonary, and really found my way to a startup company a couple of years after joining Burroughs Welcome. I was recruited to be the first-time employee of Inspire Pharmaceuticals. You know and, the name well, yeah. And it was a, a lot of fun growing the company from one or two to over 200. Ultimately, the company was acquired by Merck. But along the way, we started really in pulmonary medicine and branched into ophthalmology later. But the best part about being the CEO of the company, ultimately, was making it a really great place for scientists to work. Uh, and I was going to ask about that, but I did first the, the move from um, pulmonary to ophthalmology. How did that come about, and, and uh, how did that come about? What was, the, what was the catalyst of that? Sure. Well, it was really interesting. There was a young scientist who had joined also from Burroughs Welcome named Ben Yerksa, Ben is now the president of Invisia, mm -hmm. which is very well known in the ophthalmology space. And Ben realized that the receptors we were working on were also expressed in corneal epithelium. Oh. And he came to me and said, I think it would be a really interesting project to look at it in the eye. We went to our board. He presented a, a pretty lengthy presentation with a lot of dollar signs. <laughs> and at the end of the board meeting, they said, it's too much money. 
We shouldn't get diverted. I convinced them to let us spend one-third of that amount to do some key experiments in rodents and went to tell Ben in the lab, this is all we have, do what you can. And he conducted some experiments that sure enough led us to really think it was something worthy to pursue. And it led us to our partnership with Santin Pharmaceuticals in Japan. And, of course, that product ultimately was, in fact, launched for dry patients in Japan years later. So it was an, an example of a scientist realizing that the broad platform might have applicability beyond the original therapeutic area. Did you see the opportunity there as well, or were you putting your faith in, in uh, his judgment? He had spent a lot of time thinking about it, mm-hmm. and he had convinced me that it was worth a couple hundred thousand dollars, which seems like a lot, uh, but really was not very much to do mm-hmm. some key experiments in order to answer that key question. And I take that similar approach now to Hatteras in investing, is that can you spend a relatively small amount of money to answer a key question and find out whether a technology might be worthy of pursuing? It's failing fast. That's the way to do it, yes. right? Find out what works. Well, at Inspire, now you, you started off on the, as a bench scientist. You became CEO. Was that, did you see that happening when you were just starting out? Well, absolutely not. First of all, my, my position initially was head of clinical mm-hmm. because I had been at clinic, in clinical at Burroughs Welcome. But regarding being a CEO, absolutely not. Um, the board asked me to be the CEO at least five times before I agreed to do it. <laughs> I felt that I wasn't qualified because I didn't have an MBA. I didn't really have the background to take a company public. But, in fact, they convinced me to become the chief operating officer, which sounded a little less frightening. Mm -hmm. And over the course of the year, they sort of wooed me into realizing that I could become the CEO and was able to believe that I could do it. But I hired a great team around me that knew a lot more than I did on the business front. So it really helped. But having those mentors that believed in me in those early days were really important. I believe it. And, and you mentioned the, the culture. Did you intentionally try to instill that culture? I know it had voted several times as a, as a, a, a best place to work. And, and, but what, to culture, what kind of culture did you try to instill as a CEO? I really borrowed the culture that I had lived in at Burroughs Welcome, mm-hmm. which was a very family-oriented company that really worked hard to help you pursue your dreams in your own professional mm-hmm. career but also took care of you as as a family, as part of the Burroughs Welcome family and part of your own personal family. And so I brought many of those experiences with me. And we didn't really intentionally go out to be named a best place to work for scientists, but we put a lot of programs in place that showed our employees that we cared about them, including doing a tremendous amount of community service. And I never turned down an employee that asked me to sponsor some activity that they believed in. Hmm. And that resulted in us having a very low turnover rate because we were able to both attract and then retain employees. Terrific. And going back to that investment, that small investment you made in ophthalmology that obviously grew into a, a huge business, that created Inspire, which I think we were talking privately. You said that Inspire, there's such a broad network, a family of Inspire folks in ophthalmology what right what did that grow in uh, how did you see that growth into the ophthalmology industry did you see it getting as big as it, it was and what is it like now going to an event like oas do you do you see a lot of familiar faces well it's absolutely fantastic coming to the oas conference it is so well done so well organized and well attended 
And yes, it is a bit like an Inspire reunion when I show up here because so many of my colleagues at Inspire went on to, in fact, either lead ophthalmology companies or lead programs, launch ophthalmology products, and or start their own companies. So a few examples are Ben Yorksa, who is at Invisia. Um, there's a team of people at Perion Sciences that just did a big dry eye deal with, with Shire. In addition, the folks that launched Zydra for dry eye at Shire had been at Inspire That's in right. the commercial or the medical affairs group. Reza Hawk and Bob Dibsey, mm-hmm. and then Chad Ice, I'm very proud of, who formed his his uh, ophthalmic CRO with a number of other Inspire colleagues at Lexitas Pharma that does great clinical monitoring work for a number of companies. And we've I was very proud of the fact that I served as Chad's first refer- reference for his new little company to do clinical trials, and that first customer was Sarcode. Wow. Small world after all, huh? Yes. Hey, everyone, this is Tom. Sorry to interrupt this conversation, but I had to let you know that Jim Mazo is back. He will be leading the Masters of the Industry panel at the upcoming OIS at AAO. Jim uh, took a short break, was not able to uh, help us at OIS at ASCRS, but he's back at the podium, and he'll be leading a powerhouse panel that includes Mike Fall of Alcon, Tom Frenzy of J&J Vision, Dr. Rafiq Hassan of Bear Healthcare, Ludwin Montz of Zeiss, we're happy to have back Brent Saunders of Allergan. He's been making some news lately, so it'll be great to hear from him. And, of course, we'll round out the team with Bill Link of Verson Ventures, Flying L Capital. And, of course, he's co-chair of OIS. So it's going to be a great discussion during a great day. Join us at OIS AO coming up on November 9th. Go to OIS.net to register. Now back to this conversation. So let's talk a bit more about uh, move into second stage of your career, which is, is investing in Hatteras. How did you bec- move into the, the venture capital world? If you had asked me 20 years ago if I would ever be in venture capital, I would have told you absolutely not. Well, you weren't going to be a CEO either. Exactly. So, <laughs> so this, this happens with me. You'd have to stop asking that That's question. That's right. Yeah. And so I had the opportunity because I knew the team at Hatteras. One of the partners was my former board chair at Inspire, so there was the connection again. And I had known the team for quite a while since they had started their initial fund. And during the period of time after I left Inspire and joined Hatteras, I worked on innovation initiatives at the University of North Carolina campus with the chancellor. And as part of that, realized that there truly is this valley of death. And something really had to be done about great science coming out of universities that are not getting translated into clinical medicine. Mm -hmm. And they just have grants, but they never actually go into the clinic and actually test the concept. And so they had a recruited me for about a year and kept coming up with new and different ways to entice me to join them. And they had an idea called Hatteras Discovery, which was something that I would manage. And it was to really invest in maybe eight to ten little companies out of academia and try to get them to do the key experiments that would answer the question whether the concept or mechanism of action was valid and then try to either get them to move into the clinic quickly to test the concept or to fail fast, as you mentioned mm-hmm. before. And so three of those companies are Clearside Biomedical, which is now public in the ophthalmology space. Sure. They got in the clinic within a year of our investment, and I'm chair of that board. Graybug Vision, which is in Redwood City, California, uh, also has labs in Baltimore. Out of Hopkins, another great eye company, about to go in the clinic in the fall, and I'm chair of that board. And then Trefoil Therapeutics, which is a San Diego-based company, which has some really nice funding from the Trend Program of NCATS 
and will be in the clinic in a couple of years. So we've actually had more successes and failures at this point. We've invested across a variety of therapeutic areas, but the whole idea was to help be a bridge from this very early idea to testing the core questions and getting into the clinic so that we can find out if it's really going to help patients or not. That was a very intriguing idea to Mm -hmm. me, and it wasn't so much about joining a venture firm as it was to help those companies build and form if, if in fact, the concept proved useful. Do you you tie this strategy to that experience at Inspire when you got a third of what you wanted to to at least give it a test? You know, I hadn't really thought about it until this interview, (laughs) to be honest. Um, In thinking about it, it's so true. There's wisdom in it. That the couple hundred thousand dollars that we were able to obtain from the board that day, uh, after them telling us no, Mm -hmm. I had to quickly regroup and think, okay, just give me a bit of money and a couple of months and let's see where we go. That's exactly what we often do with companies. We say we'll give you half a million dollars, let's do a key experiment, we'll help you, we'll be on the board, we'll shepherd it along with you, and then if that works out, we'll help you raise more money. We did that with all three of the companies that I've mentioned, or two of the three companies I mentioned, Clearside and Graybug and Trefoil is still on their first Series A. But we've been able to find a number of like-minded investors to come in early with us in most occasions, if not initially, that next step, once Mm -hmm. we have proven that experiment, just like Ben did all those years ago. And if you're unable to give a company a half a million dollars and you have to say no across the board, uh, how difficult is it? Obviously, you're used to it now, but how difficult is it being the issuer of a a no? And and what do you do maybe to to soften that no? It's probably the hardest job, the hardest part about my job in the venture world is having to say no a number of times because we see hundreds of companies a year and we're we're only going to invest in maybe five to seven. Mm -hmm. However, what we try to do as a firm is help every company that we see. If we get so far as to have them come in and meet with us, and we really talk with them in detail. We try to help them with their pitches. We might tell them how to make it a bit more organized. We try to connect them with others that might be interested. Sometimes it's just not a good fit or a good time for the investment. There have been examples of companies that we've said no to for a year, and then a year and a half later we invested mm-hmm. because they listened and they went and did the key experiment or did some received some government funding that ultimately enabled them to think through their strategy a bit further. So sometimes there are maybes that turn into yeses. A lot of times they're no. Um, but we've maintained, I think, relationship with the people that we've met. And I think that's really important because you never know when they'll come around with another really sure. great idea that you do want to invest in years later. And you're, you've invested some, you mentioned three ophthalmology companies. Is this a just a byproduct of, of having been inspired that your network it's geared toward the sector or is there something about ophthalmology itself that's drawing Hatteras in? I think it was both. I think what we've learned over the last five years is that ophthalmology is a very attractive market. It's growing and there's tremendous interest in the space unlike maybe 10, 15 years ago. So we like the fact that the 
key questions and the key clinical trials can be done with a reasonable amount of money generally. They're not long, expensive trials relative to, say, treatment-resistant depression Mm -hmm. trials or congestive heart failure trials. So we like the fact that you can test concepts relatively quickly, and the FDA has been pretty good at giving guidance to companies about what their expectations are. And what do you think is the state of, uh, of innovation within ophthalmology now? What's your assessment? I think it's at an all-time high. You know, when I think about first getting into ophthalmology in the ni- late 1990s and where it is today, it's unbelievable. I think in the 90s, most people thought of ophthalmology as maybe artificial tears, mm-hmm. maybe Bausch & Lohm, uh, lens products and so forth and some equipment, but they didn't really think innovation. I think with the intravitreal injections that have occurred and the really innovative treatments that have occurred in terms of preventing or slowing blindness, people are now really seeing that innovation in ophthalmology can truly occur. So there's now gene therapy, there's gene editing, there are so many things that are happening across the board in therapeutic areas but are now extending into ophthalmology. And I think other companies coming into the space, space beyond just the big the big companies, has been really impressive and certainly biotech, big biotech, of course, like Regeneron, uh, really believes in this space. And that's really bolstered and made a more robust, I think, ophthalmology ecosystem. And just the final question, with, with innovation and all-time high, funding seems to be questionable, the level of funding. It certainly seems to be dipping. Putting a lot of responsibility on seed-stage funders, early-stage funders like, like yourselves, what are the biggest, biggest challenges you face as an early-stage investor in technology? Because we invest so early, we sometimes have to go it alone mm-hmm. for for a year or two or more. And what, what we found in the last couple of years is that more and more investors are coming in to ophthalmology so that we're, it's easier for us to syndicate early-stage deals than before. But that's the biggest challenge is wondering how long you're going to have to go it alone. Mm-hmm. But we have now invested with about a dozen um, new co-investors that we have never invested with before. And as an example, with Graybug, we in, we co-invested after the first seed round with Orbimed, Claris, and Deerfield. And so big, names. big players, yep. and they like the ophthalmology space, and Emma Cunningham is on our board. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that times are changing in the space where it's now actually a little bit more competitive in doing deals. And early-stage deals, you don't win every deal either. So that's actually a good thing for the entrepreneurs. I would think it's okay once in a while to miss, miss on one or two. Right. Great. Well, thanks for joining us today at the conference and, and here Thank during you, the interview. Tom. And that is a wrap. Christy Schaefer of Hatteras Venture Partners, thank you so much for joining us on the OIS podcast. It was a pleasure to meet you at OIS at ASRS. Look forward to tracking your investments going forward. You certainly have quite an impressive portfolio building up. Thank you, OIS Podcast listeners, for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Christy Schaefer. I hope also that you'll do us a few favors. Please uh, shoot me an email. Let me know how we're doing here at the podcast. My email is tom at healthogy.com. That's the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y.com. Healthogy, by the way, is the proud producer of the OIS Podcast and the OIS events. Second thing you could do is give us a a ranking on iTunes, uh, whatever platform you're listening to third you could do is is subscribe to the OIS podcast. If you haven't already done so, you can uh, do it for free on your phone. Just uh, sign up and we'll make sure you get the podcast every single week sent to your high-tech listening device. We'd love to have you subscribing to the OIS podcast. 
Finally, of course, uh, tell your friends and let them know how to subscribe to the podcast and tell them they should be listening. That's a wrap, except, of course, I need to tell you to be at OIS at AAO. It's coming up on November 9th in New Orleans. Go to ois.net, sign up, and we'll see you in New Orleans.